Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, he is risen. Oh, nicely done, everybody. Hey, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here. Very happy to have you with us on Easter. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, I hope you enjoy our family. Uh, just so you know uh, what you're getting into here at the Vineyard, if you're brand new, we're the weirdos. That's who we are. That's who we are uh, in our soul. But uh, that is not what today's message is about at all. Not at all. Uh, what I want to talk to you about this Easter morning is I want to talk to you about something I'm calling in today's message, Saving Faith. I want to talk to you about Saving Faith this morning. And before we get to that, I just I want to say this about resurrection in general. Resurrection, uh, it elicits a response. The resurrection, the resurrection story, it causes something to happen uh, in our hearts. And this is not just true maybe for us this morning, but one of the things I've been reflecting on this week is that the resurrection story, the gospel story of Jesus, uh, it's been resonating and it's been eliciting a response from people for thousands of years. Thousands of years, people all over the globe. And, and it doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, you could be from the United States or you could be from parts of sub-Saharan Africa or Asia, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic, there's something about the resurrection story that has grabbed people. And it just resonates with us. Uh, not just us modern people, but also ancient people. It's not just an old story, but it's a story that's been made new again as well. And the reason I think this story resonates with people is because it has hope inside of it. It has hope inside of it. In fact, uh, the author Friedrich Beckner, he says this about resurrection. If we can put it up, Seth, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Isn't that good? That's the reason why this story of Jesus crucified, buried, dead, and raised that's the reason it resonates so much with us. But here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about faith. And the title of today's message is Saving Faith. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage from the Apostle Paul. But before we do that, I want to prime our minds with three images. So I want to give us three images uh, this morning to sort of settle into our mind and our heart as we begin to wrestle with a passage of scripture this morning. The first image I want to give you is this. Um, it's the image of a parent or maybe a couple parents who have been driving a car for a good while and the kids in the back seat fall asleep. And you get home and when you get home, the kids are not just a little bit asleep, but they're all the way goofy asleep. They're like wet noodle asleep. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what do the parents do? The parents open up the back doors to the car and they reach in and they pull those little children into their arms and the kids don't even, the kids don't even do a thing. They just, they just wet noodle right into your arms and you take them 
uh, into the house and you put them into their beds. Uh, Some of us here uh, this morning, uh, maybe you remember your mom or your dad picking you up while you were still holding on to your little stuffed animal and you were so asleep and maybe you just slightly, slightly became awake, just enough to realize that you're in some safe person's arms and then you went back to sleep and they put you in bed. Or maybe you're a parent here this morning and maybe even in the last week you've done this very thing with your children. So image number one, children asleep being carried from the car into the house and laid into the bed. Uh, uh, Image number two I want to prime our minds with this morning is this. A sick patient in the doctor's office who receives treatment and care. I think this is probably one of those things we've all been at some point. Everybody here been sick and had to go to the doctor? Uh, I'll tell you one really very quick story. Uh, It's been about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, I had been working really hard at a conference Heather and I went to. And then I said, hey, babe, uh, let's go spend the day celebrating in Sedona, Arizona. So I bought us, uh, I got us reservations at the nicest restaurant in Sedona and we sat down and the steak came and the meal came and the drinks came and I took one bite of food and something lodged in my esophagus and it wouldn't move. And it got so stuck that I had to go to the hospital and they did treatments on me and their first treatments did not help me at all. And they had to put me all the way asleep. They had to call the poor anesthesiologist and all the doctor team from the middle of the night and they took care of me. And then when I woke up, uh, I was clearly fine. Uh, But this, this feeling overwhelmed me and I, for like 30 minutes, I don't know if it was the drugs or if it was just gratitude, but for like 30 minutes, I was so weepy and I kept telling the doctors, thank you for taking care of me. Do you, you know what I'm talking Have you ever been in that spot where you're like, I just couldn't do it for myself. Somebody else had to do it for me. Uh, so the second image this morning is of a patient who's in a doctor's office receiving treatment. And then the third image I want to give you this morning Uh, is a lost traveler who stops at a corner gas station to ask the attendant, how do I get to where I'm going? Uh, Maybe we don't do that anymore. Maybe that's an image for people who are like 44 years and older. But uh, how many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever gotten gotten lost with Siri and still had to stop at the corner gas station and go, you know, me and Siri, we just haven't figured out, right? And then that person at the gas station says, well, here's what you do. You go here and then you take a right and you're going to see a barn and then you're going to go past the barn. And then once you get past the barn, there's two roads. And once you get past the second road, you'll turn left and you'll be right. You're very close. Anybody had that? Yeah. So three images this morning, sleeping children, sick patients, and lost travelers. We'll come back to that in a little while, but I want you to hold that in your mind as we read today's text and we consider our responses to something as wonderful and bewildering as the resurrection. Uh, This is uh, Romans chapter 3. I want to read you like 10 verses this morning. Uh, This is what the Apostle Paul says, starting in verse 21. He says, But God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty from our sins. 
For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Look at this. People are made right with God when what? When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast? Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. It's this morning's text. I want to give you maybe just one little bit of context before we jump into the actual passage this morning. Uh, The background here in Paul's argument is that there's this apparent division between uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. I hope you saw that in the passage. Paul's saying, it's not not keeping the law of Moses. That's like insider Jewish stuff, right? He's like, it's not about keeping the law of Moses. It's, It's about something else. And so part of the context of our passage is, is like, who is God including? Who is God including? And and Paul's talking in this passage about how a person can be made right with God. And I just want you to know a couple things about Paul. Like number one, Paul was a Jew and he was trained by the rabbis. And yet what we see this morning in the passage is that he had this revelation that being made right with God wasn't a matter of ethnic origin. Read for that. It's not a matter of your family. It's not a matter of your race or your nationality. Uh, And it's not about keeping specific laws of Moses. And, and by the way, this would have been a scandalous thought in the moment. This would have been completely scandalous uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, because he's saying that being, ra- being right with God is settled in another way besides keeping the law. So a lot of his audience would have heard this and been like, wait a minute, are you setting aside Moses? And Paul's saying, I'm not setting aside Moses. I'm including him and transcending him in a, in a way that you can't, that you can't even imagine right? And this would have been scandalous. And it would have also been scandalous, uh, number two, because it means that this thing that Paul's talking about, this gospel of Jesus, it's not a closed off private benefit for a few people. I hope you noticed he said, anyone who believes, anyone, but instead it's for everyone. And so part of what I want to say this morning to the church is this, uh, anyone can be made right with God. Uh, Anyone can experience the joy Uh, the joy of God's presence. Uh, Anyone can have the peace of forgiveness and everyone here can live free from shame. Everyone here can feel free from shame. Like in your heart, you can live with a clear conscience from this day forward till the end of your days. You can live free from guilt and shame. And this is a message for anyone. Anyone. Even today, I want you to know this church, it's not the rules you follow. It's not the holidays that you observe. It's not the pink dress or the blue shirt you put on for Easter. It's not the goodness that you muster up. It's not how nice you are at the school drop-off line. 
That's the most annoying place in Campbellsville. You wanna know if you're a Christian or not? Just drop your kids off a few times, you'll find out. But it's not the goodness you muster in the school drop-off line. And it's not how many days you can go in a row without cursing. And it's not how many days that you can go in a row without watching the Housewives of Orange County. Here's what I want you to know. You watch the Housewives of Orange County long enough and and there's just a trap door that goes straight to hell. I'm I'm just kidding. It's none of that stuff. That's what the Apostle Paul says. It's none of that. Uh, Being right with God is none of that. And being right with God isn't just for a select few. It's not a particular family. You can come from a crazy family and still be made right with God. You can have a terrible mom and a terrible dad and you'll be right with God. You can have, uh, you can have all, everything in your life stacked against you. And it's not about race. It's not for the elite. It's not for the rich. It's not for the winners. It's not for the losers. Instead, it's for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And I hope that you notice today in the passage We read 10 verses, 10 verses, and five times in 10 verses, Paul says the thing that makes people right with God is either faith in Jesus Christ or believing in Jesus Christ. Paul says this five times in 10 verses. He uses the word faith or believe. Faith and belief. Five times in 10 verses. And for those taking notes, here are the verses. Verse 22, verse 25, verse 26, 28, and 30. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, And at this point, we need to excavate that word faith from some of the cultural entanglements. Uh, Sometimes faith conjures up ideas in us that are not very helpful. Um, Some of us have maybe grown up in the South, and a lot of the ideas of faith in the South are actually not helpful and actually run counter to most of what Paul is talking about. For some of us, when we hear the word faith, uh, we, we have this, uh, this picture of like a late night TV evangelist who's telling you, if you'll just give $100 in faith, then God will wipe out all your debts and you'll be blessed forever. Anybody ever seen that or heard that? Remember the, remember the movie with, with uh, Steve Martin, Leap of Faith? Yeah, right? Some of us have this idea that faith is like, is this show or this or this or this promise that's like outside of, outside of all reason and reality. Or, or faith can, can, can sometimes feel like a word that's for super Christians, you know? Faith is what the super Christians have. Or like faith is, faith is like the special forces of Christianity. You know, you have to be, you have to be someone who, who like fasts 24-7 and, and you have to be someone who has the whole book of John memorized and then, and then, you, can, then you can have it. Or it can feel like it can also feel like The Secret. You guys remember that book a few years ago called The Secret? Yeah, it's, it's one of the most unchristian books in all of the world. Uh, it can feel like, like positive affirmation. Anybody here ever been struggling or something? You began to say your struggles to another person. They said, oh, oh, uh, brother or sister, like, uh, don't claim that stuff. Like, don't claim. What, it, what? what is that? Sometimes faith can feel like just positive affirmation or, or manifesting or holding an intention. Uh, the word faith sometimes feels like a heavy rock we have to carry. But at the bedrock, here's what faith is. It's actually so simple. At the bedrock, it's trust. Faith is trust. And here's why we started with those three images at the beginning of the sermon this morning. 
a parent who picks up a sleeping child, a patient who receives care from a doctor, or a lost traveler who asks for directions from the gas attendant. All three of these images are demonstrating a simple but profound kind of trust. And it's almost exactly, it's almost exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the word faith. Uh, Let me frame it for you this way. Uh, We are made right with God when we trust Jesus like a child who sleeps in their mother and father's arms. Like what kind of trust is it? It's the trust that a child has when they allow their mom and dad to carry them out of the back of the car and into the house. That's That's what saving faith is. You are made right with God when you trust Jesus like a patient who trusts a surgeon to remove the tumor growing in their body. How many of you know you can't heal yourself? How many of you know you can't remove your own tumor? Saving faith is a patient, is a patient who trusts Jesus the way that you or I would trust a doctor. That's what saving faith is. Uh, we're made right with God when we trust Jesus like a traveler trusts trust directions from Siri. This is the kind of trust that we're talking about this morning. And this kind of trust goes, goes really deep. It goes really deep. And I want to give you three kinds of deep trust this morning that we're actually being called into. Uh, the first kind of deep trust is in verse 23. Maybe you can put that up for me, Seth. from verse 23. Um, I don't know why I said verse 23. It's not from verse 23. The first kind of trust that we have this morning is trust in a person. Paul says, Paul says in verse 24 and 25 and 26 that the person we're trusting is Jesus. Being made right with God is not primarily a test to be passed but a person to be known. That's part of what Paul is saying. It's not a formulation to know. It's not a math problem uh, to solve, but being made right with God is rooted in a relationship. And that, and that relationship is a person and the person is Jesus. Uh, saving faith is trusting Jesus. And when I talk about trusting Jesus, I'm talking about trusting the person. Not the idea of Jesus, uh, not the principle, not a technique, but the person. And let me tell you about the person just for a second, in particular. Uh, The person who turns water into wine. Trusting the person who cures lepers. The person who heals the sick. The person who walks on water. And the person who drives out demons. The person who welcomes children. And the person who empowers women. Uh, the person who raises the dead. Being made right with God is rooted in trusting that particular person. And that person is Jesus, the God who is near us and the God who heals us and frees us and comes to us with love. Uh, Read the gospel sometime this week and tell me what fault you can find with Jesus. Trusting, trusting the, the, the trust that Paul is asking for us and from us this morning is, is the trust in a person, the goodness and the perfection of Jesus. Number two, it goes even deeper than that. In verses 23 through 25, uh, there's a lot packed in those verses. We could spend a week or two on them. 
a few things that are packed in those verses that we see this morning. We see the reality that everybody sins. Uh, we see the fact that everybody has fallen short of God's glory, that everybody's missed the mark. But notice that Paul says that Jesus, Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins. I hope you noticed that this morning. Uh, everybody sins, everybody falls short of God's glory, but then Jesus becomes the sacrifice for our sins. Uh, the sinless one uh, the sinless one took the penalty for sin, uh, which was death. And he overcame death when he was raised to life by the Father. That's what Paul says. And we trust in Jesus, the person, and we trust in his goodness. And we trust that Jesus is strong in the very places that were weak. That's what we see in this text. And here's why we can trust that. Here's why that you can trust that for your life. Uh, the reason you can trust that is because in the death and in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, God forgives the unforgivable. And I just want to unpack this for us just for a moment this morning. Number one, we, we trust in a person. We trust in the person of Jesus. But in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, the second thing we see is that God, God forgives the unforgivable. If Jesus, perfect Jesus, blameless Jesus, the healing and kind Jesus, food multiplying Jesus, innocent Jesus, that Jesus who is God, if he can be murdered by wicked men and raised to life without seeking retribution or vengeance. One of the most wonderful things about the Jesus story is, is that Jesus is the most innocent. He's the most kind. Uh, he's a healer. Everywhere he goes, uh, he has good news. He's freeing people from demonic oppression. He is welcoming children into his arms. He allows women to be close to him. Uh, innocent, kind, healing, and powerful Jesus. If this Jesus can be crucified by wicked people, when he gets up from the grave, the thing you never see Jesus do is you never see him seek retribution, violence, or a payback on anyone. In fact, the first words he speaks to his disciples after the grave are peace to you. And here's what we know about this. What we know is this, is that God in Christ Jesus has forgiven the unforgivable. And if God in Christ Jesus has forgiven the unforgivable in the world, he will forgive the unforgivable in you. This is the good news. Trust in Jesus, the person, and trust that God has forgiven the unforgivable. And if he has forgiven the unforgivable in the world, he will forgive the unforgivable in you and in me. And then it goes one level deeper. Again, verses 23 and 24 together, we see everybody sin, but God declares people righteous. He does it because of Jesus. And there's something about Paul's formulation here from like 23 through 26 uh, that's cosmic in nature. And when I use the word cosmic, uh, what I mean by that is all people in all times. Do you see that? Uh, Paul talks about everybody has sinned. Not a few, uh, everybody falls short. Not a few, everyone. And not just uh, some people in one specific place in one specific time, but people in all places and in all times. So we see that there's this sin thing that's just universal. But then do you also notice that God presents Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, verse 25, and people are made right with God when they believe. Who's made right with God? Everyone, all time. So there's this cosmic thing, there's this cosmic thing that's happening in the person 
of Jesus. And it includes people from all places in all times. Uh, look, at verse, look at verse 26. Uh, for God was looking ahead and including them, what people from times past, people before Jesus, God is including in this righteousness that Jesus provides because he's looking ahead and he doesn't just want to condemn people, but God wants to be gracious and compassionate. Do you see that? It's a mysterious thing, by the way. This is a wonderful, wonderful thing. God was including people from the past and presumably people from the future, that'd be me and you, in the work of Jesus Christ. The theologians have a word for this and the word is union. Somebody in the, word, somebody in the room say union. union. I want to give you two more scriptures that just sort of like underline this for us. Uh, this comes from Ephesians chapter two. Maybe we could put that up, Seth. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2, same idea. But you've been united with Christ Jesus once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. You've been made one with Jesus. Seth, next scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Since we've been united with him in his death, we'll also be raised to life as he was. Here's essentially what Paul's saying. Uh, in all of these places, that what God was doing in Christ Jesus, he has done for the world. What God was doing in Jesus, he's doing for everyone all over the world, in all times, in all places. Uh, the world now stands forgiven. Some people don't know it. Some people maybe don't access it, but the world stands forgiven. Every single person who has ever lived, every single person who will ever live, including you and me, are somehow united mysteriously to the body of Jesus. And when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. And when Jesus was raised, you were raised. You might not feel it. You might not know it yet, but that is what the good news is. It's not that you did anything. It's that he did everything. And he has included you in the same way a father will pick his son up out of the backseat of a car and take him to his bed. That child did nothing but receive his father's embrace. Our trust in Jesus is not just that Jesus is good or that he forgives the unforgivable, but it's something wholly mystical and grand. It's that through his life, death, and resurrection, everything that's happened to him has somehow happened to me. This is the essence of the good news. Everything that's happened to Jesus has happened to me. I want to read you a quote from Spurgeon. Maybe you can put that up for me, Seth. Look at this. This is the same idea. All the theologians riff on this. You stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Seth, now Bonhoeffer. It is only because he became like us that we can become like him. Guys, every, every theologian and every apostle, uh, every, every, everyone in the church throughout all time has keyed in on this mystical union with Jesus. What God has done in Christ, he has done in you and he has done in me. And here's why that matters. Here's why that matters. Uh, there will be days that our trust seems to falter and there'll be days when our hearts are weak. Anybody here ever have days where you're like, man, I really can feel that I'm, I'm trusting Jesus. And then maybe like six months later, six months later, something happens and you're like, I don't, I don't even, I don't know anything anymore. I, I feel so weak right now. I don't, I don't even know how to trust God. I don't know how to, 
I don't know how to do, I don't know how to do anything. I don't, I don't know what to do. Or maybe we just get distracted. There'll be, there'll be some day in your future that you'll either be weak or you'll be distracted. And here's the good news. If we're united with Christ and if he's united with us, he'll still be the parent carrying us even when you're weak and unbelieving. Even when you're weak and even when you're unbelieving. Uh, at the end of the day, it's not our faith that saves us. At the end of the day, it's not our faith that saves us. I want to really key in on something that's very particular to the actual gospel this morning. Uh, it is not your faith that saves you. It's not my faith that saves me. Uh, here's what saves you and I. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. It's not your faith. It's Jesus who saves you. Because at the end of the day, who has ever believed good enough? Who's ever believed good enough? And what would the litmus test be in the end, anyhow, the litmus test is this, that God is good and where you were weak, he is strong. And where you ran away, he pursued you and he has included you in Christ Jesus. The world stands forgiven, whether it knows it or not. Every person is forgiven right now. And the only thing we can do is to wake up and see it and to trust it. When we see it, to trust it. How do we trust it? We trust it like a child who is sleeping in the backseat of their parent's car. We trust it like a sick patient at the doctor's office, and we trust it like a lost traveler who has to ask for directions from the gas station attendant because we don't know the way. We just trust, we trust, we trust. We trust that where I am weak, he is strong. We trust where I do not know, he has the answers. We trust that where, where, where my body is not able to make things happen, that God is carrying me. We just trust it. It's not my efforts. It's not my deeds. It's not even the quality of my trust. You can be a low trust person and God will include you. You can be someone who is barely making it and God will include you. And he won't just barely include you. He will fully include you. Do you remember the rebellious son who took his father's inheritance and ran off and spent it all? And when he came back, his father welcomed him as a true son, not barely a son. He didn't even make him stay outside for a while. He ran to greet him. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 15. In your weakest moment, in your most disastrous moment, God has been pursuing you and carrying you the whole way. And the only thing you can do is to wake up and say, Father, carry me. This is the actual good news. My trust is this, that even in my faulty and frail and failing heart, it is Christ Jesus who carries me. That is the thing. That's what I'm trusting. That when my heart is sick, the great physician is caring for me. Like when I'm actually sick in my heart, that I'm being cared for, or that when I'm lost, someone Someone will find me. Jesus says in this little parable, he says, there were a bunch of sheep and then one of them ran away. And the kingdom of heaven is, is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go. Like, like, here's the thing you can trust this morning. If you get lost and the gas station attendant gives you bad directions, there is a shepherd who will find you. He will find you. Church, this Resurrection Sunday, here's what I would like to invite us to. I would like to invite us to trust Jesus. To trust Jesus with your whole life. And how would we trust Jesus? Oh, just like sleepy children in the back. 
Your father wants to carry you into his house. And here's what you have to do. Nothing but let him carry you. Uh, And here's how we should trust Jesus this morning. Like a sick patient who needs to go to the surgeon. And here's, here's what you do when you have to go visit the surgeon. You just, you just show up and you do what they say. You do what they say. By the way, that's another aspect of trusting Jesus is actually obeying Jesus. But how many of you know that when you go to see the surgeon, uh, not only do you, do you just submit to whatever they need to do to make you well, but then afterwards you, you do what they say. They're like, hey, we've done this surgery on you. I, I need you to like stay home and take it easy for six weeks. Yes, sir. Right? Yeah. Uh, trust Jesus in these ways with your whole life, with your whole life. Amen? Hey, if you're on the worship band, why don't you come on up this morning? And if you are here to serve communion this morning, why don't you come up and grab your places around the room? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.